0: There are certain jobs that society often looks on with suspicion. People may have a certain response or exclamation should you have one of these jobs or professions. A quick google search has very reliably provided me with the 10 least trusted professions in the UK and I'm very sorry if yours is on this list. But here we go. So at the top, as the least trusted, is politicians. And there is a big gap before the next one, which is journalists, car salesmen, telesales, bankers, paparazzi, estate agents, and the list goes on. But of course, that was in 2019. So maybe your profession has redeemed itself since then, or maybe not. Nevertheless, here we are in Roman-occupied Jericho, with Jesus passing through on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke writes that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, this wasn't flattery or a compliment, but in fact, it was a way of saying that he was doubly bad. Not only was he a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He ran the local franchise, the local operation of the Roman state tax collection system in that district. That would put him in a similar league to robbers and murderers, as he would have been a traitor to his people. But he also might have committed extortion and taken too much money in his powerful position that he would have been in. So I wonder what the modern-day equivalent would be. Well, if we take our least trusted profession of politician and then imagine that they are some sort of stooge mayor or puppet mayor in Russian-occupied Ukraine, then we probably start to get the picture. Luke goes on describing Zacchaeus as wealthy. There is no positive or negative slant on Zacchaeus' as wealth. But we've seen throughout Luke, the Gospel of Luke already, how wealth has often been a barrier to people who are looking to follow Jesus as they can't leave their wealth behind to follow him. And in verse 3, it says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. This person, viewed as scum of society, wanted to see the rabbi, the Jewish teacher who taught the coming of God's kingdom. Yet this was not an impulse or a whim that had suddenly come upon him. This was a, a, a thing that had been ongoing. The Greek word here suggested that he wanted to see Jesus for some time. Now there were a few practical barriers for him. Firstly, he was short. It's never great in the crowd to be short. And I'm certainly all for a seated, well-tiered concert these days because height is not always a friend of mine. But this crowd was not only tall, but it was also hostile. And this powerful man of society was left on the wrong side of tall sets of shoulders and we see he must have tried to have seen Jesus and then he wasn't able because he has to run on ahead to find a better spot but he wasn't put off what does he do he climbs a tree so our modern-day equivalent of a Russian stooge politician in Ukraine has climbed a tree in a crowded public place to see someone passing through. It sounds fairly ridiculous now, and it was undignified then. For a person of wealth and importance to run and climb a tree would definitely not have been the done thing. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now Jesus was not shy from saying what he thought of people, especially about religious elites at the time. So as he approached the tree, I wonder what the crowd thought. Maybe they thought Jesus would say, look at this man who sins against God's people. Or maybe he would say, there's no chance for such a man as this to enter God's kingdom. But instead, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And we see how Jesus purposefully makes his way to Zacchaeus' spot. He comes beneath the tree and then calls him by name. Had he asked the crowd who he was, who Zacchaeus was? Had the people around Jesus been talking about who Zacchaeus was up that tree? Did he prophetically know Zacchaeus' name? We don't know exactly, but we see the seismic shift as Zacchaeus goes from the distant onlooker, the outcast, to the host of a celebrity passing through the city. Jesus calls him by name, and then gives him a command to come down immediately. He's not waiting around. Jesus then self-invites himself round to Zacchaeus' place, This was certainly not the thing that was done in ancient Israel. And it certainly isn't still the done thing now if someone invites himself around for dinner. But what else is happening here? Zacchaeus has gone from the estranged outsider in that tree looking to see who Jesus was to coming down to the ground as the host of Jesus himself and the focal point of the event of the rabbi Jesus staying in Jericho. And Zacchaeus wastes no time. He does not make a slow and dignified descent, but hurries down and welcomes Jesus gladly. Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is, and he's not letting what others think stop him. So, Jesus is welcomed gladly by Zacchaeus, but the people are muttering, that he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And I do wonder what I might have felt if I'd been there at the time, or if Jesus came back now and stayed with a collaborator who was collaborating with the Russian government in Ukraine, with our example politician that we talked about there. Because this giving and receiving of hospitality shows peace between both parties, peace between Jesus and the extorting tax collector. It is outrageous. Yet Jesus sees beyond this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, Zacchaeus, we can see already with his unpopular job and the way that he's not afraid to run ahead and climb a tree, he's not one to worry about what other people are thinking. He's not one to be put off by peer pressure. So he's not responding to the mutterers here. He's not thinking, oh, goodness, they really don't like me, do they? I better do something about it. That's not what's happening here at all. This is a response to the grace that he has received from Jesus. This is a sign of a spiritual change that Zacchaeus has undergone through meeting and knowing Jesus. And that is having life-turning consequences for him. And for Zacchaeus, that was around his wealth and how he got it. This was not a half-hearted gesture. This was not a vanity signal, or, "I'll do it eventually." It was clear and decisive. He was giving away half of his possessions, not just half of his income, but half of all that he owned. And he was completely fulfilling the Jewish law by repaying them back fourfold for everything that he had taken that was wrong. And in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus declares salvation over Zacchaeus, bringing him back into God's promise and the salvation that Jesus is to bring and identifying him as a person of God's promise, as a son of Abraham. And in verse 10, he goes on, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now we can clearly see that Zacchaeus was lost. And this reminds us too of the shepherd that Jesus talked about earlier in Luke, where the shepherd, being Jesus, goes to seek after and rescue that one lost sheep, leaving the 99 behind. Because though Zacchaeus looked to see Jesus, it was Jesus who made the decisive movement to seek after Zacchaeus. There was no accident or fluke about it, but Jesus, the good shepherd, looked to seek and save the lost. He looked to restore that lost sheep, that lost Zacchaeus, those lost people, and to bring them back into the fold of God. And it is this purposeful mission that Jesus is on which shapes all of this. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He is laser-focused on that destination where he will make peace between God and man through the cross. That is why he is in Jericho, to get to Jerusalem. And it is later in Luke 19 that Jesus arrives there and the Easter events unfold. But here, right before that, a breath away from the cross and the most dramatic events in history. Jesus finds time for Zacchaeus. Jesus times fi- finds time for this tax collector, this wealthy, estranged person in society. He comes for Zacchaeus. He comes to seek and save the lost And then next, he goes to the cross. And I wonder if as the Lord Jesus approaches that tree, as he sees a sinner hanging off a branch, balanced and looking down at him, what does Jesus see? Because just as Zacchaeus would come down from that tree and have his sin taken away from him, so must Jesus go up onto the cross and die a cursed death bearing the weight of sin on him. And it is here at the foot of this tree that Zacchaeus and Jesus meet. And then here, it is here that he declares salvation today in this place, after Zacchaeus has come down at that tree. and I wonder that as Zacchaeus is on that tree And Jesus is looking up at him does Jesus look up and say and think soon I will be on the cross and we will be swapping places and we see Jesus declare salvation over Zacchaeus salvation has come today in this place you are a son of Abraham I almost feel that smile, the warmth of Jesus as he looks at Zacchaeus there. It is this gentle, deep warmth of Jesus because he has gone after Zacchaeus. He has sought after him and he has rescued that lost sheep. And then he is thinking, next is Jerusalem. Next is the cross but how Jesus loves to seek and save, how he loved Zacchaeus, because he is in the business of seeking and saving the lost. So where are you today? Do you want to see who Jesus is? There can be so many things that can feel like a block to seeing who Jesus is, whether that's our own wealth or lack of wealth, whether that's our social status, whether that's our health, our busyness, whether that's a certain intellectual block that we have. Do you want to see Jesus? Zacchaeus did all that he could to see Jesus. He did not care what others thought as he went about it. He wanted to see Jesus. And how do you feel as Jesus approaches? Zacchaeus may have thought that Jesus might walk straight past him, Maybe he thought that he didn't even know that he existed. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you don't feel worth it. Maybe you feel of no consequence. Maybe you feel that Jesus is going to walk straight on past you. Yet Jesus wants to seek after you. He calls you by name. He says in Luke 12, verse seven, indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And in Revelation three, verse 20, He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he will eat with me. He calls you by name. He calls you to come down from that place of sin, that place of estrangement, that place of conflict with God. Just as Zacchaeus was in that tree, he says, come down from that place of punishment and of sin, and let me take your place. And as he takes our place on the cross, where does that leave us? It leaves us at the foot of the cross. It leaves us at the foot of the cross as receivers of Jesus' forgiveness, as benefactors of a new identity, gone of the dirty rags of our old self, and on is the new identity as a child of God, a child of God's promise. A promise built with faith in Jesus. And we see Zacchaeus' faith through his actions, through his deeds. In James 2 verse 14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you would say to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Verse 26. As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Zacchaeus cannot go on living the same life now that he has met Jesus. And we cannot go on living the same lives now that we know Jesus too. Our faith is dead without actions. But it is not the actions that save us. The point of Zacchaeus' proclamation is not that he will go on to live a blameless life, but that he is repenting of what he has done and decisively and wholeheartedly following Jesus. James in these verses leading up to verse 10 points out that whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. The radical change, the radically different lives we live, look to live, come from a place of being at the foot of the cross, forgiven already, restored, bearing our new identity in Christ. And now our trajectory is permanently changed to one of God's design. Because there is another risk here as we look at this story. That for any church that we become like the crowd in this story, we become like the mutterers and not the radically changed. And instead of being amazed at God's grace and receivers of God's forgiveness and living in the light and the joy of his salvation, we become the mutterers in this crowd who might say, they're not welcome at this church. Look at what they've done in the past. Jesus could never save someone like that. But Jesus and Zacchaeus here is a reminder that Jesus has come to save all, whether rich or poor, social outcast or insider. Zacchaeus changes his life after meeting Jesus and not before. Because he is changing his life from where he is at, at the foot of the cross as a receiver of God's forgiveness. And if you do not know who Jesus is today, know this. He is seeking after you, and he is calling you by name. He is standing at the door, and he is knocking, and he is waiting for you to come in. And he does not come to you now in judgment, but he calls you into peace with God. He calls you into restoration. He calls you into being a child of the Most High God. And for some of us today, we, like Zacchaeus, need to answer that call of Jesus and accept him into our lives today and say, I trust in you, Jesus. You are Lord of my life. For others of us today, we have serious business to do with God. There are old habits which need to change. There are new habits which need to change. There are things that need to be put right. There are actions we need to take. There are relationships that we need to restore. There is forgiveness that we need to give out. But brothers and sisters, where does this happen? This comes from a position of kneeling at the foot of the cross in the light and in the knowledge of Jesus' act of mercy and forgiveness over us as one who is ransomed and redeemed and restored by grace. And now we look to step out, not held back, but walking closely with Christ all of our days. So let us be a church who is defined by its grace received from God, radically transformed by his Holy Spirit's work in us, that we might be his hands and his feet in this world. I'm gonna pray a prayer of faith now. If you want to accept Jesus for the first time, pray it along with me. And let someone that you've come with or someone here know that you've prayed that. And for others of us, it might be that we need to give up certain ways of life, certain habits, and we need to do business with God too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I trust in you. I lay my life at your feet. I offer up all that I am, my sin, my faults, and I accept your work on the cross. I accept your forgiveness Lord, I want to have a new identity as a child of God. Give me the strength. Give me your Holy Spirit that I might be able to persevere, that I might be able to walk a life that is worthy of what you have done for me, Lord. But I recognize that it is only by your grace, only by what you have done and not by what I have done. Lord Jesus, we all come before you now. We recognize that in so many ways, we do not live up to what you have called us to be, that we continually and willfully choose to do things which are not what you want. Lord, transform us now. Holy Spirit, fill us. Give us the strength and the courage to make the changes that we must make. Help us to be a people who have richly received your grace and your mercy. That we might be a people who richly give out your mercy and your grace to this city, to this town, to this area. That you would use us mightily for your kingdom here, God and we will be a people defined by your amazing grace and by our encounter with Jesus. Amen.